You're listening to a teaching from Vintage Church LA. This week we're hearing from lead pastor Gare Jones. Amen. Well, if you're new to Vintage, we are looking this year, every now and again, at the Old Testament, just to rediscover how wonderful the Old Testament is. It's so confusing. I've certainly found it difficult at times. And so throughout the year, we're looking at the Old Testament, and we're looking at the book of Ruth. This is our final week in the book of Ruth, but we will be coming back again to other aspects of the Old Testament throughout the year to see Actually, this is one unified story that leads to Jesus. And particularly look at maybe some of the more challenging aspects of the Old Testament where we go, really? Not too sure about that. And to dig into it together. So we're going to be looking at some point at Genesis 1 through 3, the creation narratives. As someone who really values science, I grew up going, ah, I'm not too sure about this. Um, and so we're going to look, is this a scientific narrative of creation? Or is this a theological narrative of creation? Is this asking the how and when of creation or really telling us the why and who behind creation? So we'll be looking at that together at some point and we'll also be looking at some other questions so that we can fall in love and see, oh, actually, now I know what is going on in the Old Testament. I can see its beauty as it points us to Jesus. But we are in our last week on the book of Ruth. Just to recap where we're at as we look at the final chapter of Ruth. Uh, Ruth is really about Naomi. It's called Ruth, but the story is really about Naomi, who marries a man called Elimelech, and a famine strikes Israel. And in the depth of this famine, Elimelech gets so angry and bitter and upset at God that he turns his back on God. And he says to his family and his sons, come on, we're out of here. And they don't just go looking for food, but they reject God. They move out of Israel and they move to Moab, which is the arch enemies of the people of God. Some tragic stories of what has happened from the hands of the Moabites. But they move to Moab, but the opposite of what they hoped for happens in Moab. Tragedy strikes. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, dies and then she goes to the tragedy even further, and her sons die. And she's left a widow with daughters-in-law, and she's broken and she's bitter. And she goes back to Israel to try and kind of turn back to God and see what might happen, but she carries with her this brokenness, this despair, and this bitterness in her life of what's happened. This was not supposed to be this way. How many of you have looked at the circumstances in your life and go, I did not want this to happen. (laughs) This is not what I dreamed of. This is not what I prayed for. This is not God what I thought you promised. She goes back to Israel broken and bitter. There's a verse in chapter one which is so profoundly emotionally traumatic that maybe it resonates with maybe where you're at this morning. Naomi sees her old friends back in Israel and they say, is that you, Naomi? She says, don't call me Naomi. She says, call me Mara, literally, which means bitter because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. Isn't it tempting in the tragedies and the suffering 
in the traumas of life, to turn to God and say, God, how could you do this? Where were you? How did you not intervene? And of course, part of the book of Ruth's meaning is to explore this question of suffering and of evil. Is Ruth telling us that Naomi's right? Is Naomi right? That behind the evil in your life, there's God with some kind of puppeteering, bringing destruction and evil. The Bible, very briefly to touch on this, as it's important because Ruth, the book of Ruth raises it, the Bible actually says very strongly from beginning to end that God is not the author of evil. That Naomi actually, though it's tempting for all of us to shake our fists like Naomi at God and go, why did you do this? Actually, the Bible says God did not do this. He is not bringing evil and pain and injustice and tragedy in your life just so that maybe he can do something good or maybe mature you a bit. The story of God is not that he brings evil to, into your life, that there's a reason behind everything. No. From beginning to end, evil is an intrusion into God's good creation. That God does not always get his will. That there is other dynamics going on. And so we see in the life of Jesus, who is God personified, we see that whenever Jesus faces evil, he opposes it. He heals. He redeems. He restores. He fights injustice. The very reason he came is to overcome evil in the world. God is not the author of the evil in our lives and the evil in the world. So where does evil come from? I'm going to preempt a bit of the Alpha conversations and explore this together on Tuesday nights. But briefly, the Bible is actually remarkably complex and avoids simplicity and oversimplification about the problem of evil. It does say God is not the author. He created this creation to be good and perfect. But darkness and pain and evil have intruded in and the Bible summarizes really four sources of evil in the world, four sources of tragedy that you may experience. The first is our own free will. That, I don't know about you, but I can make some pretty dumb decisions. That I can actually hurt myself and others through my own choices. And God has wired humanity to operate with the gift, the loving gift of free will. See, love, a loving relationship which God wants with you and us, this loving relationship actually necessitates that you have free will. God, to have a loving relationship with you, has to give you the free will to love. If he doesn't give you the free will to love, then it's called a coercive relationship. But there's risk with his gift of free will. Humanity can do great acts of love and generosity and goodness. But certainly I know in my own life, I can also do great acts of pain and injustice to myself and to others. And God, in order to have a relationship with us, cannot intervene and take away our free will. To do so would be to call time on everything. 
Blaise Pascal calls it, he gives humanity the, the dignity of causality. And what we see here is Naomi shaking a fist at God, but deep down I think maybe she probably knew and certainly her friends knew that tragedy in her life is not so much the hand of God, but the hand of really rejecting God and turning away from his love and his grace. But we see the Bible saying it's not just free will. There are other forces in the world. We won't go into it now. Again, come on, Alpha, if you want to know more. Uh, There are spiritual forces in the world that oppose the things of God. Jesus talks about this a lot. There are spiritual dynamics which go beyond the natural. There seems to be some evil that is personified, has a will in the world. There's also just the broken world. Another source of tragedy in the world is just the fact that this world is broken. The story of the Bible that God reveals his narrative to us and says that creation started out good and he gave creation to humanity to care for, but we have not cared for it well. And we have rejected God. We're trying to run the world in our own, our own wisdom, our own strength. And the world is suffering because of it. The world is warped because of it. And as one person said to me, living in this world now is like a contact sport. We just get bruised. We just bump into tragedy because we're living in a broken world. The consequence of humanity rejecting God. There is a fourth, which I've got to be honest, when I look at Scripture, every now and again, I mean very rarely in the Bible, is, there is a moment where sometimes God seems to bring pain. Very few instances. And I want to be honest with you because you can point to maybe one or two, aha, but what about that? But I go, yeah, it is aha, literally one or two times. And it's always redemptive and it always seems to be in a loving act to try and shake someone out of their evil. A great example of this is the Apostle Paul. He's going around murdering Christians. Not great. (laughs) God's trying to get through to him. And so he just appears one day, boom. He appears in such a way that he temporarily blinds Paul to wake him up. So God did bring that. But it's redemptive in nature to get Paul to actually stop what he's doing. And then he restores his sight. God is not the author of evil. We see this complexity in Scripture where evil and why we're suffering and why we're broken in this world today. So the better question as we look at the book of Ruth is, okay, God, if you're not the author of Naomi's suffering, do you care? Where are you then? Or are you just watching from a distance? Are you going to do anything about the disappointments in my life? Are you going to do anything about the tragedies that I've come up against. Are you going to do anything about my tears at night? And the book of Ruth is a great illustration of no matter what the brokenness, no matter what the pain, no matter what the unexpected disappointments are that have come into your life, if we hand them over to God, he's not the author of them, but he will enter into them and he will turn them around. Let's look at what happens to Ruth. We're going to begin in chapter 4, at the end of chapter 4, beginning in verse 9. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, 
Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. Elimelech, the husband, and her two sons, who have sadly died. I have also acquired Ruth, the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are my witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, who Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. In chapter one, we see Naomi distraught with bitterness and brokenness. And she walks back to Israel. Ruth decides, Adorno, I'm going to come with you. I'm not going to abandon you. And they arrive penniless, broke. No land, they'd sold it to move to Moab. No prospects, no men in their lives in a patriarchal system. The husband and sons were the wages. That's where you'd actually earn a living. It's, that was your 401k, that was your medical plan. It was just your family was your ecosystem and your economic future. She arrived back penniless and broke. And it was in this Despair. It was in this darkness we see God beginning to bring his grace. And he brings Boaz into their life, just a guy going about his business, but he's this guardian redeemer, someone who is by law able to help widows and orphans in their family to restore them, to redeem them. And the book of Ruth is pointing us to how God begins to renew our lives through the people around us. That God will bring people into your life to outwork his redemption and renewal in your life. But what we see by the end of chapter 4 through the intervention of Boaz, buying her land back, marrying Ruth, not for his own gain but the sake of re-establishing them. What we see that the message of Ruth is not God is behind your suffering, that Naomi once thought. The message of Ruth is not with God you'll never suffer, that your dreams will always come true. No, the message of Ruth is that we do live in a broken world. The brokenness is a contact spot. God is renewing all things, but he hasn't finished. And when we land in places of unexpected disappointments, dashed dreams, tragic circumstances, that when we present them to God, he starts to bring renewal. 
He starts to bring new life where there's been death. He starts to bring joy into our grief. And he starts to bring purpose out of the tragic pain that we've experienced. We see this, don't we, with Ruth straight away. She arrives broke, bitter, without any hope of the future. I mean, is anyone with a past? It's Naomi. If there's anyone with regret, it's Naomi. If there's anyone who's going, I've messed up my life, there's nothing good for me now. It's Naomi. I don't know about you, but sometimes, maybe like me, I felt, man, I have done stuff, I have messed up, there's no road back. It's like my past will now define my future. And we can live in the, this place of being imprisoned by the mistakes that we've made, imprisoned by the choices that we have made, or imprisoned and changed by the decisions of others that we had no control over. And we look at our future and go, well, there's nothing I can do. But in that moment of there's nothing you can do is where God does his best work. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've realized those moments in my own life. I remember I left the church. I was really badly hurt by the church and left. Really didn't like church. Really didn't like pastors. And I remember realizing that I had made so many mistakes. I had hurt so many people. And actually I thought there's no way I could ever come back to church. There's no way I could step foot in church. If I stepped foot in church, people would look at me and go, what are you doing here? I remember tiptoeing back into a church one day, feeling, feeling so guilty, so ashamed. I remember I sat at the back and I remember someone asked me my name and I just made up a false name that no one would find out who I was. For the first three weeks of that church, I was John. But I was so ashamed. I thought, I remember in this church, I'd never really, I didn't know anyone there, but I remember after about three weeks, I saw someone who I knew, who knew me, who knew my past about four rows in front of me during the service, and I immediately got up and left. I felt so ashamed. I felt so guilty. You see, guilt from the things that I'd done, but I'd gone beyond guilt into shame. It wasn't I was just guilty for the things I'd done wrong. I thought I was wrong. I thought I had no future. I thought God could never love me. I thought the church would never accept me. Like Naomi, she rides back on the scene and people look at her. Imagine the guilt and shame of coming back broke with no husband and no sons. Now a kind of desperate for help from others, from the people she had rejected. Imagine the sense of hiding and not knowing what her future would be. But it's in this very, tra- very present trauma that God brings fresh hope. He brings Boaz into the, her life. And Boaz, without going through the whole mechanics of it, what we see is Boaz uses his riches to pay off Naomi's debts. He absorbs her mistakes so that she can have a fresh start. He pays the punishment for her own decisions. He absorbs the consequences so that she wouldn't have to. He takes the pain of her past onto himself so that she might be free of it. 
And of course, as we're reading this, we go, hang on a minute. Hang on, this, this sounds familiar. This is, this is something else. We're reminded of what Jesus is saying about the Old Testament, where Jesus says, look, all the Old Testament is really point, pointing to me. And we're reminded, aren't we, of that time on the cross where Jesus, the true Boaz, uses his riches to pay our debts, absorbs our mistakes that we might be free, takes the justice we deserve that we don't have to suffer, that he takes the consequences on our behalf that we can actually have a fresh future. The great news of God entering into our circumstances is he acknowledges where we've been, but he says, I am so loving and so gracious. I will absorb your debt for you that you can have a fresh start. And we see the joy of Naomi, no longer ashamed, no longer bitter, no longer hiding because she's been bought out and set free. It took me a while to get rid of the guilt and shame that I carried around. It took me a couple of years, actually. I was back in church, but it took me a while. I knew in my head that Jesus would forgive me and he'd paid the price so I didn't have to pay the price any longer. He was nailed to the cross so I could stop nailing myself to the cross, but it just didn't go from here to here. I remember being in a, visiting my mum and she liked to sit near the front, which I didn't like. I didn't like pastors to eyeball me. I wanted to be at the back. Because you know, in a charismatic church where you know, God speaks, you don't know what's going to happen, so you hide from the pastor. <laughs> but I remember mid-talk, as he was revving up. I didn't know him. He was a guest pastor at the time, and guest speaker. And he looked at me in row four and said, young man, I'd love to see you afterwards. I went, oh, no. After the service, I tried to leave, but you know, when you sit next to your mum, it's like, where are you going? Get up there. And I remember walking up, and I was actually starting to feel again, oh no, I don't want him to know what I've done. I don't want him to know my past. I don't, no, I need to hide. I mean, I'm back here by the skin of my teeth, but only if they don't know, really know me. And he said, look, as, you were, as I was speaking, I looked at you, and I just felt God whisper to me um, that you've recently come back to Jesus, and but you're carrying around that feels like a backpack full of like guilt and shame. And he wants you to know that you're forgiven and to get rid of that backpack and feel free. It's weighing you down. And he said, can I pray for you? You know, and so I thought, okay, sounds right, but I don't trust pastors and you're probably going to push me over or something. So I adopted the cynical prayer posture of, I'm rooted, nothing's going to happen. And he looked at me and just probably, I don't know what he thought, but he went, whatever. And he didn't touch me, but he prayed for me. But here's what happened. He just said, look, close your eyes, let me say a simple prayer. He said, I'm going to pray for you to be released from this backpack. And I closed my eyes and I, I never felt, he never touched me. And as he prayed, my friend said this, and I didn't know until afterwards, but my, he, he just literally like put his arm down parallel to my back as if he was cutting off the backpack. I didn't know he was doing that, but as he was praying, but clearly as he was doing that, I felt this weight, this, this guilt, this burden of all the stuff I'd done to others and all the stuff that had hurt me, and I just felt it come off. And I felt the love and cleansing of Jesus flood me. And I, despite my cynical 
prayer posture, I fell to the ground, (laughs) weeping, weeping in freedom, weeping that I've been given a fresh start, that like Boaz, Jesus had paid off my debts, he'd wiped the slate clean, and I could have a new start. No matter what your failures, no matter what your mistakes, no matter where you've been, with Jesus, he comes to give us a fresh start. But it's more than a fresh start. You see, as we read this great transformation of Naomi, we see he does something surprising in the midst of her pain. He brings new life where she's only known death. She's been given a fresh joy in the midst of her grief. I can't imagine what it's like to lose your husband and then lose your two boys. I can't imagine the depth of grief, the depth of loss. I've sat with couples in hospital and wept with them as we hold together their stillborn child. I've tasted of the depth of that pain. I've stood over a coffin with a young family as we prayed and saw their young boy succumb to cancer as we say goodbye. I don't, I can't fathom the depth of what many of you have gone through, not just in the loss of maybe a loved one, but the loss of a marriage the loss of a hope of being married, the loss of kids, the loss of a a dream that you thought you'd have in your career, your vocation, whatever, there's loss and there's pain. And the wonderful thing about Naomi is that she's real about that pain. And at the end of chapter four, as we see God enter into her life, she still carries the wounds of being a widow. She still sheds the tears at night of missing her sons. And the message of the book of Ruth is not God unwinds the tragic circumstances, but he enters in and does not let them have the final word. I think verse 13 to 16 are probably some of the most beautiful verses of the whole Bible as we see this picture of Naomi at the end. So so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And when he made love to her, that's not the beautiful thing, come on to that. The Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son, but here we go. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. She'll always grieve being a widow. She'll always shed tears at night for losing her sons. But in the midst of her pain, God had blessed her to be a grandmother. Unexpectedly, by a miracle intervention to bring joy where there'd only been grief. I mean, just picture it. The countless nights of 
grieving and wailing at the loss of your kids and your husband, and, and then here she is, in one little verse, holding little Obed. Rubbing her little nose into the fat rolls of his neck. <laughs> blowing raspberries on his belly. Just delicately looking at his tiny but perfect feet. Still grieving the loss of her sons. Still grieving the loss of her husband, but looking down and say, God, you have been good to me. And she cared for him. God enters into our pain. And where there's been tragedy, he plants little seeds of new life. Where there's been pain, he, he just plants little seeds of joy to say, I'm with you. I can, I can enter into anything and bring, bring new life. But he goes even further. I don't know about you, but maybe like Naomi, but certainly like me, I look at sometimes the, the tragedies and the pains and the disappointments. I look at them and go, God, is there any meaning or purpose behind this? I know you're not behind suffering, but it, what's even worse, what's even more cruel is that the, the story of this tragedy is just pain and grief. And yes, you're giving me some fresh joy in the midst of it. Yes, you're kind of giving me fresh hope in the midst of it. But Lord, this thing seemed only to bring death. And this is where I think the greatest miracle occurs in her life and in our life. You see, God doesn't just parallel to the pain, just give us some blessings. But he takes the pain itself. He takes the trauma itself. He takes the evil itself. He takes the tragedy itself and says, I'm not just going to give some joy in the midst of it. I'm not just going to give you fresh hope despite of it. I'm going to actually, I'm so powerful. I'm so loving. I'm so gracious. I so care for you that I'm going to take that thing itself and rewrite the ending. It will not end in meaningless pain. We see this because we haven't quite read the last words of the book of Ruth. They're shocking, shockingly amazing. You see, verse 16 says, Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. And he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Okay. The author then goes on and goes, well, this then, let me tell you, the story doesn't end. The goodness doesn't end. The redemption of God doesn't end. Look, this then is the family of Perez. And he, he goes into some genealogy. He says, look, Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Anibabab. And going, don't know why we're doing this. And Imabab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Here we go. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Okay, but look, look what God's going to do. Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of David. Still don't get it. I don't understand. What? Well, Matthew. 
Matthew's gospel picks up exactly the same script. Matthew says, let me fill in the blanks for you. Perez, the father of Hezron. He repeats, Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amimabab. Amimabab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Matthew loved the women. Boaz, the father of Obed. Do you remember? Ruth. This is why I'm doing this genealogy. Whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. Look what God's going to do. David was the father of Solomon. Then loads of other people will skip. Eliad, the father of Eliezer. Eliad was the father of... We missed it. Go back. Go back. Go back. Go back. Eliad, the father of Eliezer. Eliezer, the father of Mathan. Mathan, the father of Jacob. And then Jacob, the father of who? No. Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus. Obed to Jesus. I don't know what you think the end of the story of the tragedy in your life is, but in God's life, he brings Jesus into it and it ends in beauty. It ends in joy. It ends with the very evil that you thought was being perpetrated against you turning around to defeat evil in the world around you. This is the power of God in your circumstances. The very thing that caused pain and tragedy and sleepless night and tears. God says, I am so loving, so gracious, so caring and so powerful. I will come into that circumstance and take that thing and turn it into something good. You see, I don't know about you, but I, when, some, when I'm in pain and someone quotes Romans 8, 28, uh, 2, 28, like, all things work together for the good for those, I just go, shut up. Because I can't hang on to the goodness. I can just feel the pain. But when I see Naomi, I see what God did. I see the practicalities of her owning the pain, owning the bitterness, but saying, God, could you dare do something with this? With the job I never got. Will you dare do something with, I can't have children. God, will you dare do something with, I've got this diagnosis. God, do you dare do something? I don't know what I can do. But maybe in your hands, you could turn my tragedy into Obed and Obed into Jesus. That this does not have have an end which is pain but it comes out with life we don't say this lightly many of us are going yeah that's that's okay if maybe you didn't get the job but I lost my kids I go I know let me introduce you to Naomi you don't know what happened to me girl. I know but I do know what happened to Naomi. And if God can do that for Naomi, bring purpose to her pain, he can do that for you. The story ends with Jesus not just because the end chapter is God coming into our pain. But there's one more chapter. And that is Jesus does away with pain altogether. This is the great story of the cross. That on the cross, he was nailed in his hands and in his feet. Evil did everything they could to him. And for a few days, they thought they'd won. That the wounds had destroyed him. But I love that picture of the disciples defeated and traumatized, thinking their life was over in the upper room. 
And suddenly the resurrected Jesus walks in the room, smiles at them, says, peace be with you. In other words, chill out. (laughs) Then he does something special. He shows them the wounds and looks at them. And I think he probably would have wanted to quote Joseph back in Genesis 50, who'd been tortured and betrayed by his family. But then when his family saw him again, Joseph said, look, you can look at, my, you can look at this. You can look at the wounds and say evil had its way. Or you can look at my wounds and say what was meant for evil. God turned it around for good. You see, every evil was thrown at Jesus. And they wounded him, but they didn't defeat him. And those wounds were not scars of defeat, but scars of victory. The very thing that tried to destroy Naomi, tried to destroy you, tried to destroy Jesus, become the birthplace of victory. Let's stand together. I'd love you to take your communion cups. As we come to receive communion, Jesus says, I want you to do this meal regularly because out of my broken body came new life. New life that will one day restore everything, that there will be no more pain, no more death and no more tears. But until that day, we celebrate, for that day is certain for what he did on the cross. I'd love to close your eyes as we, as we reflect that Jesus, as we receive your broken body, we receive you into our brokenness today. Come and bring new life. Come and turn around the disappointments. Come and turn my scars into signs of your victory. Life isn't what I thought it would be, but you will make my life beautiful. On the night he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread and he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took the cup of wine and he gave it to them and said, drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which I am shedding for you and for many for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And therefore, church, as we come before the sacrifice of Jesus. We invite him in to bring new life once again to the brokenness of our lives, to breathe new hope into disappointments, new life where there's been loss, and a new future where there's been pain. This is the power of the resurrected Jesus. Let us peel off the bread side first. It's gluten-free. the body of Christ given for you.
take the grape juice side. Church, this is the blood of Christ shed for you and for me. And so, Jesus, we thank you. You are good. You're not behind the evil in the world, but you enter into it to redeem it, to overwhelm it, and rewrite a beautiful ending. Do that in our own lives. In your name we pray. Amen. As we worship now, we, our prayer team will be down the front. And just come forward for prayer for anything. And our prayer team also in the courtyard will be down the front. And it may be that you go, you know what, I need to give to the Lord the pains, the disappointments. Because I don't know what he's going to do with them. But by faith I know he's going to do what only he can do with them. My story doesn't end here. He's got another chapter. Let's worship together. Thanks for joining us for another week. We'd love to connect with you at one of our gatherings or online at vintagechurchla.com.